Hello, welcome to Sitcom Geeks. I'm Dave Cohen. And I'm James Carey. And we're joined today by a very special guest, or rather, uh, we're joining him at his home uh, in uh, beautiful East East Down uh, Norwich here, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, with a very wonderful, brilliant sitcom writer, Graham Linehan. Hello. Uh, great to have you on the show. We are both very big fans of so much of your work. Uh, we don't really want to go too much down the road of and so and then you wrote this one mm. you? and then you wrote that <laughs> and then you wrote that but we would like to start at the beginning because this is something that uh we've I, i've never seen i've read interviews and things but I, I, we're both curious to know what sort of comedy uh you liked when you were growing up well i mean i i think this is going to be a boring answer because the same as everyone else everyone else who's in who's in this job yeah right. you know at this age, yeah, you know yeah, the yeah. Pythons, yeah, faulty towers. I mean, I mean, I think the Pythons were like a kind of jolt of electricity in a way because they were so on the edge of being, um, they were so a, a kind of uh, outlaw ish. Yeah, it's hard to explain now. I mean, they're a bunch of bloody Cambridge or Oxbridge blokes, but but it felt like yeah. it was very. Um, subversive yeah and so i was very excited to be allowed to watch it you know mm-hmm. um so so and then they would they, they'd bring out films that were banned in ireland so it was even more exciting oh. so it was just completely exhilarating outlaw excitement when when it came to them you know so and that then went on to faulty towers which i just absolutely adored and it's been Ever since then, probably it's been an attempt to try and to try and get to mm. the 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 place that he was at when he was doing some of it, you know those episodes, which mm. are you know as someone as someone once said, at least ten of the greatest farces of the, in the English language. You know? yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And at what point? Because um, when I was even uh, twenty years ago, when I was starting out. Um, I just didn't know any comedy writers, and it didn't occur to me, even though I was writing comedy at university, that that was a job that you could do. Was there a point at which you thought, "Oh, hang on, I could actually, oh, I could do, I could do that. I could actually write the jokes." Yeah, I think uh, it was. It was. Weird. I guess it was a bit arrogant. Maybe I'm not sure. It was maybe, maybe, maybe um, someone like Vic and Bob helped as well because there was something so patched together and and homemade about that it kind of it possibly had a similar effect to punk in that oh okay they just got up in a pub and did this and then they're on tv yeah and we were doing something similar we were we were we i um me and arthur arthur was in this band called the joshua trio and they would put on it was like a youtube parody band and the lead singer paul would do um would would pretend to be Bono and he'd come out in bloodied robes and, and this this would be before the actual where somebody would probably be going out and doing the Joshua Trio as a genuine U two tribute yes band yes exactly pre tribute time yeah. <laughs> and and the one joke really was U two songs done like Frank Sinatra songs and stuff oh, okay like it was it was all very uh, um, there was it was there was a lot of disrespect that was just kind of coming out through the way they covered them I think. Uh, Paul always just found, found, and Arthur just found them very comical in their pomposity, I guess. Mm. Um, and you know, we would write things like we we'd write things like uh, you know, one of them got arrested for for grass possession, and and we dramatized that on stage. <laughs> we did the bur- 
Earth of Bono, which we did as a nativity thing. <laughs> we did all this stuff, and, and, and you know, it just kind of came naturally to us. It was very easy to write together. We, I thought, and I still think, that Arthur is just one of the funniest people I've ever met. Um, and I was just, I was 10 years younger than Arthur, so I was constantly trying to impress him. Right. You know, he was, uh, he, he, Arthur is a very kind of, um, uh, I guess you'd call him, he's a solitary guy, I think, in many ways. He's, he's, he's um, hard to read sometimes. So I was always kind of doing this kind of dance for him. <laughs> you know, is this funny? Is this funny? Is this funny? Yeah. And, um, and so that just kind of translated into this, into this feeling that, we were funny because he was making me laugh and I was making him laugh. And I thought, and you know, it, it may, it, I think there's two things you need when you're starting off. You need someone to aspire to, which was, which was Basil uh, Faulty and all that sort of thing. And someone who's on, who's doing well, who you just think, well, that's the worst, worst thing I've ever seen. And we can, we can beat that. Yeah. So there was a show on at the time. I don't want to say what it is. Um, I'll tell you afterwards, but, but, but I just, we, we used to do what we call the radiator test with it because when I was at school, we used to, to, because we were so bored, we used to sit on the radiator and see how long we could stand it. And we'd do that with this show. We'd watch it and just think, let's see how long we can go. And, and we couldn't watch it. We literally physically couldn't watch it because the jokes were so insulting, um, to our intelligence that it just became intolerable. Yeah. So so um so yeah so we so we thought we were like that wins BAFTAs. Yeah. Mm. You know. We can do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. that's a great way of sort of navigating your aspiration and your yeah. sort of kick up the backside and something to shoot for the moon as it were. Well, yeah. is it yeah. interesting and you mentioned the punk thing as well and and um and I think that that moment in the young ones uh where they start showing the good life, yeah, and uh, yes. Vivian tears Burst through, through. Yeah. and and, and well, says, uh, you know, and, and says all the punk things about it. Uh, even though at the time, I remember thinking, well, actually, I sort of quite liked the good life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, yes, I totally get what you're saying here. You know, and I, and and uh, yeah, yeah. There is there was a kind of element of, of, of tearing down everything that had gone before. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and and then coming up with new stuff. Mm. I was going to say something about that actually. It was something you reminded me of something there with 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 the young ones. What was it? Is that something that you watch? I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was another thing that when I saw the, one of the first trailers, which which I think had uh, 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 Rick and and Viv standing next to each other, and Viv just picks up a cricket bat and whacks him <laughs> in the face with it, and it was. What the what the hell was that? <laughs> you know, it's like I, I'm going to be watching that program. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. You look at it, it's, it. Young ones is an interesting one because you look back at it now, and all the surreal stuff doesn't stand up, but the mm. but the character stuff stands up. Right? Yes, and the surreal wish, stuff is weird, isn't it, it? You kind of wish it had a bit more of the good life in it. Yeah, because you think these are interesting characters. Oh, I know what I was going to say. It was a lesson that Jeffrey Perkins uh, taught us, which was. When we were doing the original, um, we, we were trying to pick the music for Father Ted, mm-hmm. and we had two choices. One was uh, the one we used, Songs of Love, and the other was a song, by, again by Neil, called, that eventually became a song called The Woman of the World, which had a kind of whistling, you know, plinky-plonky, silly quality. And uh, we we said to Jeffrey, we want the silly plinky-plonky one, you know? And, and he was like, why? And we said, well, we, you know, we, this we want to make fun of sitcom 
sitcoms. You know, we want to, you know, we want to, we, we, we thought we were doing a satire on sitcoms, you know. Mm. And Jeffrey just sat there and just looked really sad for a second. And then he said, people will love these characters. Why do you want to make fun of them? Yeah. And I thought, whoa. Yeah. And, and that was one of those learning experiences that we were actually able to utilize. Because when people talk about the warmth of our stuff, I really trace it back to that conversation. You know? Wow. Ah. Yeah. That's, yeah, because we, we, we wanted to talk about... Uh, I, I, I'd like you to talk me through, if possible, just talk us through the... Um, I, I, the Paris came out, and then yes. Father Ted came out fairly soon after that. We brought, James and I are both big fans of uh, Paris, by the way, which was a, God a, bless you, a short-lived uh, one-series sitcom that was set... Uh, during the, the revolution, really, wasn't it? Oh, well, no, it was set, no, uh, set in the 20s. Yeah, Paris set in the, the 1920s. Yeah, uh, yeah. But in the sort of revolution... Pre-revolution, maybe. The, or as a post-Russian revolution. Yes, post-Russian, yeah. And, Lots uh, of revolutions happened. Bolshevism and, and things. Uh, but it was uh, an Alexei Sale at his most, you know, kind of crazy, bolshe, Bolshevik yeah. uh, time. And Cast of Thousands. Yes, we were just talking on the way here. We were saying, uh, wasn't it? And when you say Cast of Thousands, I was like... Oh yes, all of my memories of it are how many people are in this show? I know, Eleanor yeah. Braun was in it. <laughs> yeah. Well Neil Morrissey just, Neil Morrissey. just the, the sheer number of extras exactly. as well in yeah. these sorts of scenes and stuff. Mm. I remember very busy bars and things like that. Sometimes yeah. people will yeah, put, uh, I'll, uh, you know, I never watch it, you know, but 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 sometimes people will remind me of people who are in it and it's quite shocking. John Bird was in it. Right. <laughs> it's just extraordinary, you know. I mean, we got very lucky and and it's just a shame that we Again, it was another learning experience in that when we did TED, we did, we did TED, we basically Channel 4 commissioned Paris and it was a big flop. And then they just, and I'll always be amazed about this, then they just commissioned TED. I, I think there was, no, there was no pause in it, you know, they mm. just went straight on to it. And, and I think they just felt, well, you know, it just, it, 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 why not? That didn't work, yeah. this, this will work. Because the scripts were funny on, in both, in both, um, uh, situations the scripts were funny yeah mm. but there were two things that happened one was we refused to rewrite on Paris right mm -hmm. because we were idiots and okay. we thought that that's what you do yeah. and as a result each episode was coming in about 10 minutes too long so when we got to the edit <laughs> and people said well you are going to have to cut it now we were like what and, and uh, we realised oh Christ we have to lose all the jokes yeah. So all the jokes went, and all the plot stayed in, which wasn't the strong point in, of Paris. That's well. It's a it's a point worth remembering that yeah. when when you do overwrite, and it, it's it's standard to overwrite. Mm. The easiest thing to lose in an edit is always the jokes. So yeah. don't don't horribly overwrite because you are making a very big yes. problem for yourself. Yeah. Mm. And 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 when we wrote when we when we got onto TED, then well, there were a couple of things that happened. The other thing that happened with Paris was was. Um, we made all these decisions that turned out to be bad. Like, like, like one decision was, hey, instead of real backdrops where you see a skyline, for instance, we'll have Van Gogh's Starry Night. You know, really bad idea because because it, it just turns into a panto, and and there was nothing to hang on to. It was no mm. nothing was it wasn't grounded, mm. and 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 everyone was was trying to it, the whole thing just floated away. I think so. When we got onto Ted. Um, 
we needed it to be. I mean, you know, it's funny when you talk about Ted in these in these terms, but we needed it to be more grounded. We needed it to be more realistic. <laughs> we needed it to be more authentic. Uh, we 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 also felt that if the same thing happened to Ted that it happened with Paris, the Irish would never forgive us. Right. Because because we'd never we, go home. Yeah. <laughs> because we were very aware of the paddywhackery thing, and we thought the way this will. You know, this is an intelligent show written by intelligent people. That will come across, but if it doesn't, we're 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 screwed. So we were on it on every every single moment. We 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 helped cast it. You know, I was I was uh, per Declanani. I was constantly directing over his shoulder, um, to such an extent that I eventually directed it myself, just to, just just because it was unfair, um, and. Uh, and yeah, we just realised that. I mean, I still feel now a little bit. You guys might have a different experience of this from me, but I still feel now that if you're young and you're getting into it, you have to direct, because unless you're you stumble into an Edgar Wright, then you know you're not going to. It's not going to come across the way you want it to, you yeah. know. And so um, I think that's more the case now when you know, a YouTube generation and a writer-performer generation who were just used to owning the whole thing mm. and used to controlling every single aspect of it. So I think that is increasingly common. I think it is a big a big job to do, and I'm glad I haven't directed what I've done, no. but I'd be, I would be open to it. It's, it's, well. it's not my natural thing. I don't really, mm. uh, in a lot of ways, I don't enjoy it. I mean, the, there's this, but but the thing I feel I, I'm, I always try to be when I'm... Uh, working on something is kind of uh, adapting to circumstances. So if, if, for instance, if you've miscast a little bit and you have a character, an actor in who's not quite, if you've if you screwed up somehow, and 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 I mean, you know, hopefully you won't do this. But let's say one actor gets through who's not quite the way you saw the character, then you change the character. Mm, you yeah. know, but if you're not around, if you're not on set, yeah. you won't be able to do that. That yeah. is the way to be on set, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, the, the thing that interested me from the point of view of watching, of, of being involved in writing audience sitcom and non-audience is that it, it seems that the, the director of an audience sitcom has a kind of quite a different job to the audience, to the director of a single cam show. And I could imagine a writer on a single cam show being much more, you know, you hear the word auteur, mm -hmm. as in, you know, written and directed by, whereas mm -hmm. with sitcom you've got your your head is so full of all the other things that go all the technical stuff five cameras the uh you know picking up shots and all that kind of stuff well that's why uh i've got a nice relationship with richard bowden because mm. richard bowden mm. is a technical director um uh very very fine direct director of, of studio comedy um and and he also really kindly just puts his ego to one side when it comes right. to doing my stuff and he will you know, I basically rehearse the actors and and treat it like a stage play, and and occasionally, um, and you know, and I say I really want to close up here. I want this mm. to be revealed mm. at this point, not right. before it, and so on. And so Richard will will help me uh, get what I want out of a, a a format that I'm not as used to. I don't write camera scripts or anything like that. I never right. have. I, I mm. kind of think I I should have learned, but there was never any time, you know. Mm. So. Um, so yeah, I mean, I feel like the, the, the studio sitcoms—they feel more like me. I think I, I like doing single camera stuff, but but I don't know. I love the studio 
I mean, I'll get, it's interesting. I was watching The Good Place recently, which I really like. I don't want to, I'm not dissing The Good Place in any way. I think it's a great show. But I notice in it that, that uh, Sam, uh, not Sam Malone, uh, what's his real name? Ted Danson. <laughs> Ted Danson is, is a little bit loose in the show. He's, he's, yeah. he's, his performance, I would say, is, is, is quite kind of freewheeling. You know, right. which is fine. But if you look at him in Cheers, when he's had a week to rehearse, he is like a, a symphony. You know, yeah. he is an app. Everything he does. Do you is think it's all those years of Curb and just being free form in? No, I just I, I think it's even 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 simpler than that. It's simply that you don't get the rehearsal time. Yeah, right. You know, okay. whereas in studio, I mean, that's what people don't realize. All this fucking thing about. You know, I don't like being told when to laugh. It's not for that. It's yeah. so that we can we can rehearse it and tune it and and make it so that it it works like a Swiss watch by the Friday, and the Friday comes, you've like two hours to get it right, and that everyone's been gearing up to it. There's a real excitement. Uh, the audience is is on your side, you know, but you you still have to write the jokes to make sure they don't go away. <laughs> it's you know, it's all about that kind of making that evening, you know, as good as it can be. And sometimes with the the way location stuff works is it, it's more like it's more like a, a patchwork quilt. It's like, well, that shot mm. didn't quite work, but I think if I can I can make the next scene refer to it and that'll take the edge off it and then that so you're kind of you're kind of figuring it out as you go along and hoping it comes together in yeah. the end yeah do you think the, the do you think the editor has a much bigger role in a single camera yeah so, yeah i guess so i guess so it's kind of yeah studio stuff is to choose from, they? on the uh, on the on yeah. the truck but you know i mean it's interesting our camera guys work harder than in the studio work harder than anyone else they're not used to it you know we'll we need to put the camera in so many different places because i think visually I, I think of visual jokes and gags and stuff so you know the one cameraman will be right onto the set and you know those cameras they're so heavy yeah, you know, yeah, that, yeah. they're not yeah. built for that they're yeah. built to look at uh paul merton yeah and not move yeah you yeah. know so we're swinging them all over the place people have to avoid you know, uh, one ca camera one has to avoid camera three, and and it's just it's like a you, you wouldn't believe it, but it's like the, a ballet. Isn't it's it? like yeah. a ballet yeah. of, of these uh, huge monstrosities. I mean, they're yeah. ballet for, for men in their fifties called Derek, <laughs> Steve, <laughs> Pete, <laughs> Jeff, and Lionel. You know, it's yes. always yeah, you know you all in jeans. We, yeah, we've we've talked a little bit about this in <clears> previous episodes. Did you see Ben Elton's? Uh, uh, talk about sitcoms. I didn't see it I heard about right. it yeah. yeah I mean a couple of the things that, that uh, it's worth mentioning certainly in relation to to your work um, there was he was saying and he, he showed a, a, a clip from the young ones for instance there's one where uh, I think Rick falls down the stairs and the, the banisters break one at a time <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and he just talked about the work that went into the, that one shot and the, the the people who do that kind of thing and the fact that because we're making so we're so much less we're all, we're not making as much audience sitcom now and so these jobs these the, the skills that are required for these jobs are, are being lost and we and, and all, uh, at every level we're losing kind of the 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 the, the kind of uh, things that we had in place that, that allowed us to make audience i mean mm. what, how, you, you've been 
single-handedly, as I think maybe Marx and Grad as well, but very few people have been making audience sitcom over a what, 25-year period. Mm. I mean, what, what sort of changes have you noticed? Well, I, I mean, I haven't really... It's always been a kind of hermetically sealed world uh, for me, so mm. I haven't really noticed any changes. I've just been doing it, and mm. it gets done, you know. Mm. Um, but um, I, I think there's definitely... I don't know. I think there's definitely more. It's more of an oddity when you create a studio yeah. sitcom, you know, and it's uh, you know it, nothing changes really. Like Father Ted, they they accused us of using canned laughter, mm. and then uh, you know uh, it happened exactly the same on Count Arthur. First mm. episode came out, all these critics said the laughter mm. was canned. Well, so Pete, what can you do? Pete yeah. Sinclair made quite a good point actually. He's just done a sitcom with uh, Jack D. Um, a non-audience a non countryside one yeah, yeah, bad yeah, movie. yeah. Mm. but he has done audience sitcom and he said you know he takes he takes the point you know whenever he whenever he sees a critic talking about candle after and he you know he groans again but he did make a quite a good point I think which was that he said when you're writing jokes that are a kind of a half laugh joke along the way um, and then but you don't you don't get a big studio sitcom size laugh but you get a bit of a ha, 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 mm. multiplied by 200 voices mm. and he said that's the sort of thing that he thinks has become a bit more intrusive and maybe one of the reasons why people are less uh, inclined to to watch audience sitcom but that's what i you see for, for me it's like i always say that uh, studio sitcoms are a genre not a form you know there is a certain kind of comedy that works with studio mm. sitcoms yeah. for me farcical sillier surreal stuff works much better in front of an audience than without and to such an extent that there are some shows that are very silly and very farcical and i look at them and i just think why didn't you have an audience on this mm. i know for instance that uh, the Bush didn't have an audience because they brought in a bunch of their friends for the first few audiences and their friends just howled like hyenas and, and just went, were too too into it um, oh, and it and it just put off the audience at home you know mm. but I think that could have calmed down I think that could have been dealt with because I just think those the two of them are just hilarious in front of an yeah. audience you know it's mm. why I wanted Nolan the I'd love to have got Julian somehow as well, but I, it's why I wanted Nolan the sitcom because I just love seeing them work an audience. You know? yeah. Yeah. yeah, they just know, and there is that rare thing that you do get with an actor and an audience. They just know exactly how to do it. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, so I would say, I would say to your point. I mean, I just don't. I just try not to write those kinds of jokes. Right. And if I do write those kinds of jokes, I try and I try and move past them really quickly. Yeah. So I'll say, don't you know? Don't hang around for the laugh on that yeah. one. Just yeah. that's not it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My rule is, if if it's if it's like a, a joke like that, then you do it naturalistically. Yeah. If yeah. it's a proper, if it's a real strong, you yeah. know, wallop of a laugh, then you know you you do, you you know one one of the one of the, we're we're trying to do the American IT crowd at the moment, and one of the things that we're on the lookout for are musical theater people. Because I think they know how to do yeah. that kind of joke yeah. to an audience. You know, mm -hmm. if you look at someone like Nathan Lane, you yeah. know, he just, he's amazing. Just, yeah, I mean, yeah. he just bites these jokes off. You know, like like yeah, like That's, an apple. You know, yeah. he just crunches into them. You know, yeah. they'd be interested to talk about um, how your <clears throat> sitcom experience feeds into your writing of uh, Lady Killers, um, and whether you what you learned through that sort of process, or whether it was just actually like just shooting a sitcom. 
Yeah, um, but it, without the, with, without the no, guys called Steve, Dave, Pete, Barry, and Mike. No, it was it was very different because we had I I, I uh, we had uh, this effect that was uh, like cutting that I didn't realize that because we we built it like a dollhouse. I really I realized that you could have cuts in the sense that one room just springs to life and people start talking in it, and then another room, so you can do what we call split screen, mm. you know, and have all, and we can have things happening at the same time and so on. So it was, it was, it was very different, but, but I guess I also felt quite comfortable, um, quite quickly, uh, doing it. And it was easier than I thought it was kind of over before I realized it. Um, I, I personally felt that the script was unfinished. I, I wish I'd been able to do a bit more work on it because I, I didn't feel that the last third, um, got the sinisterness right you know it, it, I felt it could have been um, a lot better on that score but but in terms of the comedy yeah it was easy it was just fun because these characters were, were the kind of characters that, that I love getting my hands on you know just, just big bold yeah. clear uh, archetypes yeah. you know and I think going back to what Ben Elton said <clears throat> the thing the, the second point is made, he made is about the snobbery of it and it seems interesting to me that you can do a big bold, silly uh, stage play, which I know obviously it's sinister as well, Lady Killers is not obviously mm. just, just a comedy, but mm. it's fine to do a proper comedy on the in the West End, um, and actually pantomime is fine, mm. but the moment you try to turn that into a mainstream family sitcom, you're suddenly worse than Hitler, <laughs> and then adding canned laughter to it. I think that's one thing that, uh, yeah, of, of, all of, the, yeah. of all of the comments that Ben Elton said, I think his point that yeah. the snobbery surrounding it, and I don't know if you felt that um, in terms of, for example, with Count Arthur Strong moving from BBC Two to BBC One, suddenly you've got this white glare of attention, or do you feel that because it had already been on that it didn't really necessarily... It didn't... Uh, nothing really came into play there because no-one watched it. It was just... <laughs> we watched it. I watched it. I very much enjoyed yeah, sorry, it. Sorry, lovely people like yeah. yourself watched it. But yeah. in, terms of, in terms of its reception and so on, I didn't feel a thing. It right. was as if it wasn't on. And the BBC had never repeated it, so it really will be... It'll just disappear, you know. Mm. So it was a very dispiriting experience. The worst mistake we made was bringing it to BBC One. At least on BBC Two, there's a feeling of uh, that, uh, you know. Uh, they're, 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 at least on BBC Two, they 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 seem to care about comedy. But on BBC One, I don't think they ever have cared about comedy. They they Jeffrey Perkins used to talk about my favorite story that Jeffrey Perkins talked about when when he was uh, head of comedy at the BBC. He remembered a memo that went around that said that said something like the BBC leads the world uh, uh, from the highest uh, uh, production valued you know dramas all the way down to sitcoms you know <laughs> and when he did I mean I wasn't I wasn't a, I wasn't a fan of the reboots that that he did but you have to you have to admire the figures he got but when he did um, uh, you know. Uh, the the Del Boy, uh, yeah, the Fools and Horses. Fools and Horses. When he did the the reboots of that or the remakes or brought them back, they got something like twenty two million, some mm. insane number, huge number. Yeah. And he said he presented this at a meeting. It was just moved. They moved on from it. They, they it was like they were embarrassed by it, you know. Yeah. So you know, it's it's. I I just think the BBC. That was. I might as well have just chucked them all down a well that's gone on to the BBC which was exactly not quite what we were after when we made the move right. yeah <laughs> but I mean there, there is a, a a reasonable history of 
that this show's worked really well on two or three. Uh, let's move it to one, like uh, Have I Got News, uh, Little Britain. Gavin and Stacey. Yeah, you know, they, yeah they, they absolutely. Are... And they, they do really well, so maybe it was just, maybe it was just Count, Arthur, Count Arthur, maybe it was just the show. I mean, I, I, but I cannot figure out from watching it what, why someone would like Ted and not like Count Arthur. Yeah, what's mm. not to like. Yeah, I agree, yeah. I agree. It, yeah. I, I, it was very puzzling. I wonder if, if because it was on BBC Two, um, it felt sort of countercultural in a way because of it's an extraordinary character, mm. and the just the world it created was in many ways very un BBC Two like. Given that this is the channel that also I gives you W One A, I think that's yeah. possibly what it was. I think I think there was always a a, a kind of. Um, uh, warmth to it that that maybe put off some kind of comedy fans, mm. um, and I don't know. Be interesting though, going from um, uh, f- so from Father Ted, where you um, you know, you and Arthur were sort of in control of that, to moving to uh, Black Books, where you've got the you know Dylan Moran who's actually in it mm. as well, and how mm. that changed the dynamic of. That wasn't a happy experience. Because somebody's got this thing of like, well, I'm not saying that. You know, having, because I've written with Miranda and I've written with Milton Jones and I'm always conscious of the fact that they're going to say what they're going to say and they won't say something I've written if they don't want to say it. Yeah, but it was never like, it was always collaboration with with Dylan. We were always on the same page. Okay. But it's just when it got into the studio, it just just somehow didn't work, the relationship. It just didn't. It kind of broke down, so so it was like it was you know I I if I'm not having a good time I always just walk away I don't care how successful it is right you know, I just walk away so um so you know it was a shame but that's how how so it was. the actual production of it was was not fun or no, no. You, you couldn't it was the rehearsals and everything everything from the moment we stopped writing the scripts was was painful was it that Dylan presumably he switched switched on. The person in the room with the audience, so that that for for somebody doing a sitcom who's not necessarily an actor but is a is just used to kind of I have to, I have to get this audience by whatever means even if it's not quite sticking to the but I was script. well I don't want to go too much into it because mm. it's unfair because Dylan's not here to 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 sure. put his side of the story but I'd say I'd say it was a there was a certain amount of insecurity uh, that you know. It was a big deal for him, and uh, you know, I think, I think also it was his idea. So, so mm. for me to come in and people are suddenly asking me questions, and and you know, uh, okay, it was no. just a little odd for him, you know. So, you know, in the end, it just didn't work out. But people are surprised when I walk away. But it's like, no, there's the only there's only one reason to do things in life, and that is to, that they are fun to do while you're mm. doing them. Because mm. if you don't. If you, if that doesn't happen, then your your life is dripping away on yeah. stuff that's unpleasant. So you know it was. Yeah. It I was guess people. I can understand people being surprised that you walk away, given from my own experience in the industry. It is so hard to get a show on, and once you've got a show on, mm. God, you know you it's got to be awful to walk away yeah, from yeah, experience. It. Yeah, did yeah. you did you learn anything from having you worked out why it wasn't fun, and you just thought right. I now know in the future not to. Because obviously when you've no, worked with other people in the in, in, after that, have mm. you done stuff differently yeah, as a result? Yeah, it's always kind of gone uh, 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 
pretty good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's been a couple of incidents. But but like the thing that I the problem with learning experiences is you can never put them to any use because they don't come up again. Right. And and the thing about the thing about what happened on Black Books was I was completely blindsided by it. I was not expecting it. So so then the the next thing that and there have been things since that, that happened the next thing completely blindsided me as well. Mm. So, you know, it'd, it'd be great to use all these learning experiences. But but the thing I do think is, is, you know, I think the important thing is to say, I'm the boss. I, you know, when, if, when, it comes to, when it comes to certain things, script, the, you know, mm. the, the, you know, not individual lines, but, 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 you know, the structure, you know, the, the way the show is shaped, You've got to have one person who is all over that and understands what it means if you move one scene, yeah. you know, five minutes down down the road. You have to have someone there who's who's uh, where the book stops. Yeah, and uh, and you know, I'm not. I've been doing it twenty five years. Yeah. And I'm not gonna. But it sounds like from yeah. quite early on, you you were quite sh- sure about that. As in, do you do you think maybe you learned from Paris that you shouldn't have? You shouldn't have given in on certain things, or that. Yeah, yeah. But the thing about Paris, <clears throat> what what was interesting about Paris was, I think we were kept away, not kept away in any kind of negative way. We were just kept away, I guess, because it was just the practice of the people who mm-hmm. were doing it. But, but, you know, while I say I'm the boss, I'm collaboration is yeah. the most important thing to me. When mm-hmm. we when we work on, uh, especially in the studio, when we're doing. Um, I will. Uh, we'll end up with a completely different script by mm-hmm. the end of the week, you know, because of what the actors have brought to it. And I do see it as we are all doctors, and the script is the patient, mm. and we have to. And I have to listen to these other doctors. And, and yeah. but in the end, you, you know, you you have to be the person who who does the operation. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that's possibly the the difference with someone in your situation. And again, this is something that I've noticed over the last you know, over 20, 25 years is the number of people who have an input into your script now. And it's it, it goes up and it's more and more people and people who you've no idea what experience they have of comedy or writing or reading scripts mm. who, you know, and, and anyone can look at a script and have a good idea about it, but you sort of think, um, how much are they trusting you? And I think that's a kind of, that that's something... I think we both noticed yeah. over the years is the number of people who have the input, mm. and so it's different for different people, I guess. Yeah. And but I, it's different for me as well because I'm I'm the harshest on my own stuff. I mean, I'll rewrite a whole second half or first half if it's not working mm. for me. And I bring Andrew Ellard in to to get the you know, like Andrew Ellard. He his notes are always the same for me because I'm because I have my. Uh, blind spots like stakes is always his thing yeah, me. yeah. My, mm-hmm. I, I, there's never a lot riding on stuff in my shows yeah. and, and and you know it was mm-hmm. only through him constantly saying this that I started realising that stakes make people do things yeah you know and the, the higher the stakes the sillier the yeah. things you can yeah. get them to do mm-hmm. you know so I don't really need you know if someone comes in then at a late stage and says something about the stakes I'll know they're if not, there, you you all know this phrase: the note behind the note. Mm-hmm. If if often people will 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 say something, and it might not be exactly the right note, but but the fact that they felt they had to say something will make me go back to the script mm-hmm. and say, 
how can I, how, what happened that they didn't just enjoy this? Yeah. You know, so I don't know. I, I think different people who have different levels. I was very lucky. Father Ted, we won a BAFTA. I was 25 or something. Mm. You know, it, it was out of the gate. We kind of had success. And then, and then we went to the Black Books, we won a BAFTA for that. You know, now people mm. tend to think I know what I'm doing, you know, which is, <laughs> yeah. which is great. But, but, I mean, and of course, by the way, there happened to be, you know, Big Train, one of the finest sketch shows I was thinking about ever, you know. Oh, man, that's so funny. Thank 90, you. was that sort of around just before Black Books or just yeah. around the same time as that? Yeah, I felt, I was thinking today about how I should have done a second series. I felt bad about that because um, I didn't walk away from any feeling of it being bad. It wasn't a bad experience at all. It was a lovely experience, mm. but it was just really hard. And I just kind of thought, well, we kind of proved our point. We, we were making a point. We were trying to prove it. Uh, we, were, we had this uh, experiment that you could take a situation, and a ridiculous situation, and be by, by treating it as seriously and, and straight as possible, <laughs> the ridiculousness would become more and more apparent. Yeah. And we thought, well, we proved that's true. I, I thought, why do we have to do that again? We've, we've proved it. <laughs> yeah. you know, but then uh, afterwards, I kind of thought, oh, yeah, it's a business. And people do this to make money. Yeah. I kind of forgot about that aspect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this was when Ted was making DVD money, so I didn't really have to worry about uh, things doing a second series or something or something like that. These well, days, Jesus, I'd be... <laughs> when can we write the second series? Of, you know, but in those days, it, it just money wasn't really a concern. Right. Talking of money, we should probably talk about America. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> uh, they, they do things bigger, mm -hmm. bigger over there. Uh, just before we were recording, you were saying that you're on a bit of a tight deadline. So yes, yeah, um, but no, no, that's great. Um, keeps us focused. But um, we we gather there was an attempt to do an IT crowd the two. Yeah, one that you only found about relatively late on the internet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. And I've, I, Richard had already agreed to do it, and I rang up Richard and I was like, "What? What? What is this? What did you agree to do?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and and per Richard, he had to do it because he 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 you know he had a young family and you know. Uh, I had to kind of, I had to kind of accept that, and I didn't want to get in the way of it. But, you know, it was just one of these things that I just thought you cannot do the same type of show. It is, it is, it is uniquely British in its surrealism. Mm. There's, there's, if you look at American sitcoms, they do certain things very well. They do realistic, grounded sitcoms brilliantly. They do realistic, grounded sitcoms with characters you love brilliantly. Mm. Uh, Cheers, Frasier. Seinfeld, uh, all of these are studio sitcoms. Sometimes they have surreal elements, but generally they are they are kind of much more yeah. uh, grounded yeah. than, than mm. my stuff. Their life slightly bigger, yes, yeah, aren't they? With better jokes, they 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 probably have more to do with the theater. Yeah, you know, in the sense that like you will have Rick Mail destroying every banister on the way down, yeah. falling mm. downstairs, whereas they will have just a, a series of kind of snappy conversations that are just mm. make you think that all these people are the funniest people in the world so you know uh i just thought you have to you have mm. to adjust it for that and adjusting it is again as i always say it's not it's not moving the furniture around it's mm. deep structural changes it's 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 thinking deeply about what the show is what it needs to be and also you know it's 10 years after we wrote the first one as I was saying to you earlier, mm. 
we, we had a joke about how crazy Facebook was, you know, yeah. uh, and, and, and now people are much more. Now Facebook is, a, is one of the know. biggest countries in the world. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And people are people are people are uh, uh, someone like Jen would would have an instinctive knowledge of how to use all these, all yeah. these bits of. Uh, yeah. You couldn't imagine technology. somebody just turning up and saying, oh, being asking, oh, what is the internet? I yes, can't, I can't quite see that in 2018. Yeah. You can. There might. Be, uh, what I'm hoping is that there are areas where you can do that kind of joke, but it's just not going to be. It's not going to end in a riot the way mine episode did, or a, or a, or a huge, uh, you know, karate fight between two characters. You know, <laughs> it, it, and the thing is, I always think. I don't want the people who, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I look at the American office and I go, Nyeh. because for me, it's not, it's not doing this. It's good. It, they're, they're the people they're doing this. It's the same relationships, but there's just, it's just not, it's not. Yeah. So, so they made a, they made, they made the perfect choice, I think in, in, in ditching the original yeah. uh, and trying to make it its own thing yeah. as they went on. That's what I wanted to do from the start. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to have a series where people went, this isn't the IT crowd. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I want yeah. to have a series yeah. where people just think, oh, this is completely new. Yeah. Yeah. And and what is this going to do? And oh, this is how the jokes are working. And this is how the yeah. characters are interacting. Mm -hmm. how, how much control do you have over this American show then? Full control. I mean, you so know. This is the, this, so you're currently working on the second incarn American incarnation. Yes. Sorry. So the no, first one with, with Richard Iwadi. Yes. The first one with Richard Iwadi was done without my knowledge. For, <laughs> for pilot season or whatever it is. Yeah, or, they yeah. had a pilot. It's all, how, how is it done without your knowledge? That's... I would love to know. I still don't know. I still don't know. They sold it and they leave just... comments below on Facebook, people, yeah. if you happen to know. Um, but the second version, I'll tell you. Here's another mm. great story. Second version, I actually went out and worked on it for a week, and then they, uh, the, I went home and they reverted back to the original script and sold it to Fox, who I didn't want to work for because of Rupert Murdoch. So I, I spent one Christmas on the phone demanding that they 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 tear up the contract. Right. And they did eventually. Goodness. You know, Ooh. so it was just. <laughs> <laughs> so this is another incarnation. This is another incarnation where I thought, you know what? I don't, <laughs> let's just try and make it myself. I'll yeah. go out and I'll see if, see if I can pitch my, the way I think of it. And, and I went out and I said, American sitcoms do this. British sitcoms do this. I think, I think this could be a good American sitcom if we change certain things. And we, 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 we adjust to certain levels. Mm. Um, uh, and, you know, they, they went for it. And in answer to your question about how involved I am, I'm, I'm completely involved. I mean, the thing about it is the way they work you is they're very, very on top of you. They give you short deadlines. Like you get two weeks to do a synopsis, two weeks to do an outline, and then two weeks to do the script. I don't even have two weeks to do a script. I have to do a full script now by Wednesday, which will then be rewritten for another five days or mm. something. Mm. So it's very tough. But the thing about them is every time they talk, I notice people don't, I think, to, I was thinking, I, 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 I was talking to them and I kind of, I was kind of thinking back on all the times I've heard about, about studio interference and so on, you know, and I'm nervous about that aspect in the sense that I don't want to be presented with 20 people, everyone mm. with, and everyone's got an opinion, you know. I, I, I want to hear the notes distilled into one or two mm. things that, you know, because I know what I'm doing and mm. I feel like I can, I can address a lot of the things that they're worried about. Often my second draft will be so different from the first that the, the notes are, are moot anyway, mm. you know, but, 
But I do wonder sometimes if some of the complaining that you've heard about Brit heard from British people about the way Americans uh, the way Americans work is simply just they're not used to notes. They're not so, a lot of I I notice over here sometimes you'll get script editors and it's just a mate who says yes yeah, great <laughs> <laughs> or says maybe that bit could be a bit longer or I like that it's not but you know. Andrew Ellard, who for me is what a script editor should be, mm. he present he gives me like a, a, a an essay begins yeah. with an essay and then it'll go he'll go back to the top of the script, and he'll go beat by beat yeah. what he thinks of everything. And the essay is both what in the essay he will say what the script is at the moment and what it could be. Yeah, and by the time I get to the end of the essay, mm -hmm. I'm just bursting with excitement yeah. about what the script could be. Yeah. You know? So so for me, notes are, you know, they're they're not even a necessary evil. I think they're these guys I'm dealing with at the moment, you can sense that they just know story. Yeah. They know story. Why would I ignore them? And it is great when when the best notes do get you excited about that rewrite. Mm. And that is not a very common experience for many writers. But actually, when you when you you know your first draft, you, you know you're writing your first draft, assuming that they will film it. Mm. You have to kid yourself about that almost. Mm. You have to trick yourself. Yes. And then you get these notes back where they're basically, it's it's like they're telling you your kids have got eyes too close together, and and it's just how oh, dare you? You know, funny enough, I but, think I can I can deal with that if I wait. Maybe two days. Okay. If I do, if I wait two days, I think then I don't have that. Uh, yeah. Those defenses don't go up. Yeah. But if mm -hmm. I'm hearing it literally after the day after I I work like a slave to get yeah. a draft in, then yeah, my defenses go yeah, up a little yeah, bit. Yeah. But mm -hmm. two days, I'm like, fuck it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But also then, but but for notes to sort of give you that picture of this, I think you're trying to do, and that's the yeah. The, for me, the best notes are always trying to be what Andrew's doing with you is. I can see what you're trying to do yeah. and here's how you could do it even better and here's how yes. you're fighting against yourself yes. because there's this one joke that you really like but yeah. actually you don't need that because you could do this and this. Yes, yes, and by the time yes. they're done, you're just like, oh, shut up, I want to get it. You know what I mean? That's and, a great and, feeling. And the one time Andrew said, he's, he actually said, uh, here's something I'm not going to, I've never said to you. He says, I don't like this script or I don't like this story. And uh, he was right. And I didn't take his, his advice. I kind of thought, okay, it's a blind spot that you have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, you don't have to like everything. You don't that's have to like fine. everything. Yeah. But he was right. He was right. He, he, you know, it finally came out, and I thought, oh yeah, this is not really. Did it? I... Did that go all the way to? Yeah, and it was sort of too late, and so you were, or did was it just a lot? Yeah, of I think I think maybe I think maybe I mean the thing is, my problem is I don't have a team because it's just me. If if a script if I've written a script and there's ten more that need or six five more usually that yeah. need work, then if someone says you're really going to have to overhaul the whole thing, I have to be I have to be very comfortable with the others to, yeah. if I'm going to do that to this one, you know. But you know, it was just one of those things. I kind of realized again the note behind the note. If I didn't if I didn't agree with him on that particular point, why didn't I why didn't I still listen? Because because. It, he didn't enjoy it yeah. unreservedly. Yeah. No one, no one is looking at Basil the Rat and thinking, eh, "If only you'd done this." You know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. fucking perfect. You know, that's what you want. And that's where we leave our interview with Graham Linehan. 
thanks to him for his time, hospitality and candour. We'll be back with Graham next time when we talk about his favourite sitcom and mine and Dave's Seinfeld. So you have been listening to Sitcom Geeks. If you'd like to support the podcast and engage with us on a deeper level, the place to do that is Patreon. Look for Sitcom Geeks on there and you'll find treats and goodies and some Patreon-only podcasts coming down the line as well. We really appreciate that. The Graham Linhan interview cost us about 150 quid in train fares, as I live in Somerset and Dave lives in London and Graham lives in Norwich. And uh, the reason the podcast doesn't sound like it was recorded in a goldfish bowl is that I was recording it on a Zoom H5, which is very much the podcaster's friend, and I recently purchased it for about 200 quid. So these costs all add up. Um, If you're able to chip in for them, we'd be very grateful. So go over to Patreon to do that, or buy my book, um, or Dave's book, or... um, find some way of pressing money into our hands you can also find us on facebook and twitter you can email us um, on uh, sitcomgeeks at gmail.com so if there's anything you'd like us to talk about on the podcast let us know via those channels or on patreon thanks very much for listening and goodbye